morning and welcome to Crime Talk BK. Uh, these are your hosts from afar, Joanna Purpose and Megan Duffy. Morning, darling. Good morning. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about, uh, let me see, Andrew uh, Kananen. Yep, Andrew Kananen. Kananen, uh, also known as the Versace Killer, uh, because under quarantine I have gotten renewed my love in true crime and finally started watching this series a good what like two years after it came out Mm -hmm. are you watching the fictionalized series the fictionalized one okay Mm -hmm. i'm I'm into i'm into those i like having more of a like a narrative um i work in docs so watching documentaries for me uh is stressful (laughs) because i'm just like oh man that person must have worked so hard to get that I'm sure. I'm sure. I'll watch. I, I'll watch either. Like I don't have any preference. You know what, Doc? I have been watching and have absolutely fallen in love with mm. Tiger King. Let's talk about that lunatic for a second. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so don't spoil anything for me because I still oh, don't not- know why he's in prison. <laughs> uh, okay. I've just gotten to his presidential run. Uh huh. Uh-huh. The sequins and the gun holster are just, and the haircuts. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, uh, first of all, I need to say the most upsetting thing about that is all of these tigers and other animals are getting the raw end of the deal. So oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's It's full-on animal abuse. Like, it really is. On all sides. And from Carol, too. Like, those cages are tiny. It's like, I know she's not breeding them, but she's a whack job. She's nuts. She killed her husband. <laughs> I love it how she's like, how are you going to get tigers to eat a purse and cover them in sardine oil? That's silly. It's very specific. I'm like, oh. <laughs> very specific. <laughs> oh, my God. It just kills me. Like... It's- Oh, my God. So, for anyone listening who has not seen this, it is about the three weirdest people you could ever hope to meet. Um, They all have... So, two of the main characters are these two guys who separately own private zoos where you can go and, like, play with a baby tiger, you know, like, watch them feed, do tricks with lions. And it's like they're in Oklahoma, and then there's this woman, and so that's who the Tiger King is, is in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. He's this he self-described gay redneck tiger dude, um, polygamist cult leader. Joe Exotic. <laughs> Joe Exotic, who I actually, I think I met. <gasps> At a mall with a baby tiger? In middle school, yes. Oh, my God. Uh, so, um... Oh, what's it called? Like, like, is it called the Great Outdoors? There's some sort of like big sporting goods store um, that has its own gun range inside the store. Because Texas. That's very Texan. Okay. And and so it opened in a shopping mall near my house that is now infested with like druggy kids. But at the time was like hot shit. 
And so when this um, outdoor store opened as a promotional thing, they had this, these people come in with baby tigers, and they're all like these trailers, and you could go outside, and they had like a little bench, and you could sit and hold a tiger in your lap and feed it a bottle of milk. And, ah. it would take... and so I remember sitting there with my friend and her mom with a tiger cub in my lap, just oh, like no. petting it. And uh, so looking back, because I don't remember, like, any of the – I feel like I would have remembered Joe Exotic if he were there, but I, I think I remember some, like, I, woman or something. I feel definitely like you would have remembered Joe Exotic if he was there. <laughs> He's so I don't necessarily – I don't remember the staff, per se, but when I was watching it, I'm just like – oh my God, he was doing this tour of like Texas and Oklahoma with these baby tigers. I'm like, I wonder realistically, like how many people were actually doing this in the like late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and then also like the fact is like, yeah, we were going to malls. I'm like, oh my God, did I hold a Joe Exotic tiger cup? You may have. You may, I have. may have. Well, the, isn't the other guy the cult? He's kind of a cult leader in his own way. Uh, in South Carolina, the long-haired, uh-huh. the long-haired dude. Yeah. So there's like a second guy in this show who also owns one of these private zoos, but he also like works with Hollywood and like trains these animals. And it might just be me, but besides the um, many large-breasted women whose impants he played for he actually sounded like he was treating the animal to okay uh i don't i don't know i i i think that he's still awful but um yeah. you could be right maybe the animals are not eating uh you know expired meat from walmart but okay <laughs> but he does have a cult Talk, talk, tell us a little bit more about this cult. Uh, it looks like about six ladies, if I can remember correctly, because I watched and the whole thing. They're all married to him. They're all married he to him. He all the Mrs. Wives. He pays for all their plastic surgeries. They uh, aren't paid anything. They, uh, so, you know, they're in this position where they can't leave because they don't have anything. And he controls their entire life, right? So that's a cult. They they actually talked to someone, one of the women, and she's like, I think this was a cult. <laughs> she's like, mm-hmm. I was oh, yeah. traumatized. Yeah, one of the former members. Yep. So, yeah, so it's like, so you're watching this, and it's like as the story unfolds, it's more and more unbelievable. And I really hand it, hand it to the documentary, to the production company for recognizing the story, because all of it is archival footage. Like, they did do some interviews today, um, but so much of the footage, especially from Joe Exotic, he hired a producer who used to work on, like, David Letterman mm-hmm. to follow him around with a camera and create their own docu- their own reality TV show. Yeah. And so they have, like, years and years and years of footage. And, like, as the story unfolds, you realize that there was a falling out with this producer and that the producer owned all the footage so you just know that when they were doing the doc, they approached him. He's like, yeah, fuck Joe Exotic and just oh, gave all this stuff. You're not there yet. What? You're not there yet. There's a twist. Oh, okay. 
Um, but a lot of the stuff was already up on YouTube and already out into the ether. So there's that too. And yeah. news, news footage and... And <laughs> the then, reporter. <laughs> when, he, was, when he runs for governor, the reporter's like, we had to cover his campaign and here <laughs> is the debate video. <laughs> and Joe Exotic's like, guns, pot, polygamy. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck Carol. <laughs> Carol Baskin, who is the third big cat owner in the in the documentary she pretends to be uh a savior of animals yeah so she has this uh like rescue center and her whole thing is that she's against big cat breeding which honestly i sort of am too um but carol like plucks these cats from like medium-sized cages and puts them in super small cages in her like Florida domain, mm-hmm. and then she has like hundreds of these volunteers who are like, "I would die for Carol," and I'm like, it's "Cult, maybe a little bit cultish, a um, little bit cultish." But she used to do breeding too, so like, yeah. get off your high horse, lady. Well, and then her husband <laughs> disappears to Puerto Rico, to Costa Rica, Costa Rica, Costa Rica, never comes back mysteriously disappears mm. <laughs> and then she's like meat grinder I couldn't even fit my hand in there yeah. like girl I know you're creative you got 12 big cats running around come on and she wears like head to toe chi- uh, cheetah print tiger print like oh girl you can't make the whole thing the thing like you can't make the whole thing the thing her house is the same way. <laughs> and she wears this, like, wreath of flowers on her head. Yeah, I it's, know. It's like, glued on, like, pale pink roses or something. Like, she's like the Virgin Mary of tigers. Okay, when you're done, I'm going to send you BuzzFeed's 33 most hilarious tweets about the documentary. Because... There are something I watched. I have to watch the whole thing again because, like, I was watching the interview with like one of the sheriffs in Florida. I think Florida. <laughs> He's got like a monkey butler table that I completely missed. So I have to go back and rewatch it for details. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I saw this really funny um, little. It was like one of those texts on Facebook that's maybe about like two hundred words. And they're talking about, like, 2020. What do we have? We have Donald Trump assassinating Iran big shot, nuclear wasteland possibility, and then we, like, slide into the impeachment and round it all out with coronavirus. And it's like, we're we're based in New York. We're the epicenter of the coronavirus epidemic in the world right now, I think. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's true. And... uh, It's like everything's just falling apart. And you know who's going to save us? Tiger King. Joe Exotic. Exotic. He's going to unite us all. (laughs) (laughs) He's also got, he's also like, he put out his own records. Country country music. Oh, God. It's, It's got everything. It has everything. And, uh,. Yeah, so anyone who is listening to us, if you need a strong shot of escapism, 
just yep. watch just watch Tiger King on Netflix. Honestly, be aware though that the the animals, the way that some of them are treated, will make could make you upset if you're sensitive to that sort of thing. I was a little yeah, upset. Yeah. So just real quick content note: animal abuse, suicide. Not telling who. No. Um, murder. Yep. Possible murder. Incompetence. And uh, sheer oh. madness. Just madness. Yeah. And then some like sex culty type stuff. Yeah. It's no next year, but it's some implied. It's, it's implied. Yeah. It's kind of fucked up. Um, anyway. Enjoy. Happy <laughs> viewing. We certainly, uh, I got a kick out of it. I have oh. to maybe Does that make me a terrible person? I don't know. I have a, we have a murder radio show. Uh, if it makes you a terrible person, you're in good company with the millions <laughs> of other people that have watched it and commented on the internet. So. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, All right. I'm sorry. I'm just like not sleeping super, super well. Right. Well, you know, the gloomy Saturday morning too, so that doesn't help. Yeah, it's all rainy. I have to work this afternoon. I'm sorry. We have a deadline on Monday afternoon, and so I'm just trying to get all this stuff in. Not anyway, I'm gonna clean my house. That's about it. Yeah, how are you doing? Let's do a, a Sandy check. I'm fine. I, I'm just, uh, you know, how you. My house needs cleaning because I've been living in it nonstop for 15 days, 16 days yeah. today. Well, you got over your quarantine, 14 day. Yep. Full on. You yes. have coronavirus. Well, at least not where I thought I was going to get it from. So I could still get it from anyone in the neighborhood, but I do take all of my precautions. So I'm not too worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like three cats and a lady and a tiny 600 square foot apartment is messy it's just messy so i'm constantly cleaning yeah yeah our kitchen has just turned into a wasteland <laughs> yeah i never realized how much we eat out until all this started i've yes girl i've been cooking myself a nice meal once a day like a really nice meal i've prepped all the stuff for salads i've got soup and oh. i made in the freezer like i've got wild rice soup that i made i'm like Docked, and I got fresh direct coming tomorrow for another two weeks worth of provision. You're using fresh direct, yes. Is that like an online grocery they deliver? Yeah, yeah, they have because I'm and when we get offline, I'm going to tell you the tips and tricks on how to book it because because it you have to like monitor the the page for your scheduling mm-hmm. i'll tell you about that later when we're done yeah well it's just um it's hard for us to carry as much as we need home from the grocery store yeah or inst do you use instacart Mm-mm. try that too instacart yeah, yeah. Kind of us starting to deliver our groceries just because there's so many things that i want that we've just been having trouble finding and then um <clears throat> we have some like dietary restrictions, so it's just easier in some ways to um, be able to pick out online 
what you're yeah. I will tell you that there's some uh because of the situation we're all in, um Fresh Tobacco does run out of things, but at least you're getting a good amount of stuff that you you know, like gallons of milk and you know, yeah. heavy things. You know, you can get your heavy things gluten-free options or whatever it is that you require that are harder to find in your area. I, you know, I use them primarily for like ginger beer, jalapenos and things that I can't find in my primarily Russian neighborhood. What happened? Where'd you go? I'm here. Oh, there you go. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, but it's great. Cat litter. Cause mm-hmm. Chewy's, run, Chewy's running five to six days behind now. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll order that today because we still have a week's worth of food left. Yeah, so that's I'm trying a good, to plan it out. That's a good idea. Give yourself a, a five to six day leeway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, we'll do that then. Okay. Um. Well, we're holding down the fort. Um. I went to, uh, the my treatment center on Wednesday, and I wore an N95 in the subway. And let me tell you, the subway was packed. So, but I figured out what's going on. So they reduced subway run times, which I think is a terrible idea. Yeah. So, because it's like, if the subway was running the way it normally does, there probably would have only been like five or six people per car and everyone could have gotten their own bench, which is how much space you need to be six feet compliant. But instead, they're running the train like... They've cut it down to the point where, um, so I did have a bench to myself because I refused, I like sat weird and refused to give it to anyone. And I'm like sitting there with my huge mask on looking upset. So no one sat next to me, but Mm -hmm. all the other benches had like three people per, per bench. So that's like every there, all the seats were taken. And I was like having this like meltdown and, um, so I was around four on the L from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Um, so my five days will be on Monday. And at that point, I'll hopefully be in the clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very stressful. And, you know, the fact that I'm sitting in this chair getting medi- getting medication pumped into me that lowers my immune system and then getting onto the subway. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, here's the thing. Like, and where I'm at, we've got train options, right? I've got the B, I've got the Q, I can go to Coney Island, catch the DNR, whatever. You have the L. Like, they should be running the L at full capacity. Yeah. You well, I, I mean? think they're starting to because um, I read this article from Gothamist that Wednesday and Thursday, the trains were much more crowded than they should have been and that they're starting to uh, reconsider their policy. But I was like, do I take a, do I call an Uber or do I take the train? At least I know that the train's getting bleached regularly. Fair point. But you know, at that point though, if the if it's packed, like you might be safer with just just the one guy and. Yeah, but and, if he has it, you're definitely <laughs> expected. Yeah, I don't know. It's such um, a. It's like I hate trying to like. It's like you're rolling the dice no matter what you do. I know. And I tried to go to the beach on Thursday, but it was so windy and cold. Yeah. And then yesterday I had three virtual happy hours, so I didn't get to go to the beach. I have more happy hours yesterday than I've had in the last five years. Is that just you call call up your friends and drink with them? No, I did one with my office. And then I did one with our station. 
And then I did one with my friends back home. Wait, Radio Free Brooklyn had a virtual happy hour? They have one every Friday now. What? Oh, what that's okay. Yeah, yes. Next Friday, I'll send you the invite. So next Friday, it's on Zoom. Oh, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. It was cute. I'm not working. I might be working. It's just from six to or five to seven. It's not like oh, well, I can join some of it. Yeah, oh, that sounds like fun. It was fun. It's I just like I don't get an opportunity to meet a lot of those people all the time because I live way the fuck out here in the middle of nowhere. So it was are, nice. you, are you representing our show well? You got to got to make people like us. You got to be the cool kids. I girl, you know, I got my taxidermy up on the wall and I'm, I was drinking my dark and stormies and I'm chain smoking my cigarettes. I'm like, this is this is me. This is what I look like. <laughs> Tom also wanted us to take a picture while we were recording. I was like, maybe next time. Because maybe next time. <laughs> that means I'd have to put on a face and do my hair, and I'm not doing that right now. Yeah, it's. I'm lucky I put on a shirt, to be honest. I was about to wear my pajamas, but didn't think I'd be able to focus. This is generally my pajamas. Like, what a. My t shirt is my pajamas, and I have these, my two favorite hoodies that just. I wear everywhere. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do laundry by hand. Um, next week and then i can bring you dispatches from the from the shower <laughs> too bad you don't like have any rocks to bang it like scrub them against Get an old oh, i'm sure i can find something i'll use <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i can find uh i was gonna make a joke about using ashton's head because it's hard but <laughs> that was a joke about you being stubborn he's plugged into his video game not paying attention <laughs> that's okay that's good. He's actually what's getting me through this between you and me. No, I would be a mess I, if I were on my own. I kind of get that. I would be a mess if I actually had someone here. So <laughs> I would like probably end up killing somebody or myself. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, let's get into Andrew Kunanen. Speaking of murder, <laughs> I'm working on my segues. <laughs> All right, uh, so I'm going to get into his early life a bit, and then you can pick it up when we get to your uh, hometown. My hometown. Like, this is my hometown. That's my hometown thing. Yep. <laughs> what a hometown to have. All right, so Andrew Kanan was an American serial killer who murdered five people in three months. Mm-hmm. I'm just so, so impressed with his prolific killing spree. Yeah, I feel like he's more of a spree killer because there wasn't a lot of, aside from the fact that they were all men, I don't really feel like there's a huge pattern. Uh, but it was, there were some things that were like mildly, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of see him, I guess, as more of a free, as a spree killer mm-hmm. as well. But he's certainly like a psychopath. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> All right, so uh, let's get into this lovely young man's personality. <laughs> All right, so so Andrew Kunanen, uh lived with his family in National City, California, um, where he was, quote, considered gifted with an IQ of 147. All right, so the fact that his IQ is so regularly talked about, um, I think says a lot about him and possibly how he was socialized. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, didn't he had a he's born of an Italian American mother and a Filipino father. Mm-hmm. So there was a there were a certain uh I what do we call them? Social cues that he lived with. Um father was possibly strict. like pressures yeah. to succeed. Yeah. Um although his dad walked out on them. Yes, I, think, he, I believe. He, he was, he, was older. he was accused of fraud and embezzlement and then ran off to the Philippines, where he's originally from. Uh, and apparently Andrew went to visit him while he was there and was just completely grossed out by the squalor that his father was living in. So they had not much of a relationship after, I think it was 88, right? Yeah. And then um, just for reference, his murders happened in 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a teenager, uh, Andrew developed a reputation as a liar. Um, he would just tell stories about his family, his personal life. He also would uh, change his appearance quite often to just kind of fit his mood. Now, when you're like a gay first-generation kid in high school, this sounds like a pretty as decent of a coping strategy as any. You know? I, yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think a lot of it is too strange. Generally, the yeah, lying part like, might be a little off, but the trying to fit in and changing your appearance and that's just. I kind of sort of put that as like I'm just trying to find myself, but mm-hmm. when you, when, but retrospectively, probably not. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's like um, if this was the only thing that he did, he'd be like charming. You know, like that fun kid. And actually, he was uh, voted least likely to be forgotten by his well, uh, high school class, which is na- true. Nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Um, but as he was, um, you know, into his teenage years, he also started to uh, court older men, older wealthy men. And, he became a gigolo. Uh, yeah. He became a gigolo. Yeah, he was a... Very uh, successful sugar baby. Yep. And uh, so when Andrew was 19, his mom found out that he was gay, and uh, which it breaks my heart that it sounds like she really rejected him. She was very religious. And uh, that's not cool, dude. Don't reject your kids for being who they are. Unless they're a serial killer, then, you know, (laughs) reevaluate. But during that argument, he threw her against a wall so hard that she dislocated her shoulder. Oh, dear. And uh, so this is, I think, the first real time that we're seeing his penchant for violence and his, I would say, inability to really regulate his negative emotions. Uh, Of course, later on, um, reports have indicated that he might have had antisocial personality disorder. He uh, lacked remorse and empathy. Um, so, uh, these are a lot of, like, when people use the word, like, sociopath, mm-hmm. a lot of times that's kind of shorthand for these antisocial behaviors. Um, and so, <laughs> that's, I think, like, the first red flag. Mm-hmm. That and the line and the changing of the, um, his, like, costumes and everything. Sure. Um, but especially, like, the violence. 
All right, so after this argument with his mom, um, Andrew, like I'm sure many gay young people, uh, decides to move to a bigger city where he can find more acceptance. For him, that's San Francisco. And he just charms his way through the San Francisco gay scene. Uh, again, he's just lining up the rich, guy, rich guys one after another. Girls um, got to eat. Girls got to eat. Yeah. And um, it's a rep. Was he ever a sex worker? It was not clear to me. Mm-mm. No. No, he, not not in the uh, traditional sense. Like, he would find rich gay men, and he was a sugar baby or a gigolo or whatever those things. He was never, like, he was in long-term relationships for a, 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 some sort of business exchange, right? He would give them uh, his charming sense of self and some sex and whatever. And they showered him with cars and expensive gifts and cash. I mean, honestly, there's worse ways to live. Like, and I feel like if he had just kept that going, he would have been fine. I've done it. Yeah. Got a nice uh, handbag. Uh, I got a lot of cash and some trips. Um, I got to tell you, though, I was too independent to succumb to rules. So, yeah, that's okay. He's in, he's in prison for RICO violations, so it's fine. Oh, there that's you go. An, that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I, I feel like I have to talk to you about this later off here. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so... It is also in San... Okay, so one more thing about San Francisco is is that um, he had a reputation uh, for making very violent porn. He made his own porn? I did not know that. I'm not sure if he was in it necessarily. Uh, it's it's like unclear to me like how involved he was with this process, but that was definitely his jam. Wikipedia, at least, says that he made it. Um, but he was like the S&M guy. Okay. Again, you can totally be into kink without killing people. No, yeah. Like, do your, do whatever you want. It's just, you know, make sure it's consensual and don't kill anybody. Yeah. Um, however, Keenan had issues with that last part. And is actually in San Francisco where he met a few of his victims. For example, Gianni Versace. Uh, Kunan and um, Andrew met him in October of 1990 uh, when Versace was in town. Um, he was creating the costumes um, for um, an opera. And um, Andrew met him at, um, I, it sounds like it was like a gay nightclub. Mm-hmm. And uh, the show makes it sound like Versace asked him out to the opera. It's not all that clear how much of a relationship Andrew and Versace actually had. They certainly like knew each other casually. Could they have known each other more? I guess it's not outside the realm of possibility. Um, although I'm pretty sure Versace's family has denied yeah. that they really knew each other in any substantial way. And his longtime partner also denied it. And since this thing I watched last night, so yeah, so it's all speculative. But mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, um, it's. It's not out of the realm that they actually may have been in a nightclub together, but that could mm-hmm. just be it. So, yeah, and I mean they could have talked briefly. I mean, everyone at this nightclub is probably trying to talk to Versace. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also in San Francisco 
um, that Cunanan um, met uh, David Madsen, who's a Minneapolis architect. And Megan, you'll be telling more on more of this later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they started. So um, David is like spending some time in San Francisco. They got along really well, so they begin a long distance relationship shortly after. Um, but then uh, David ended the relationship in the spring of 1996 because he unsurprisingly found um, Andrew a little quote shady. You don't say. Um, although Andrew has uh, told his friends that um, this man was the love of my life. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a disconnect going on. Also in San Francisco is Jeff Trail. Mm. All right. So Jeff Trail is one of Andrew's closest friends. And uh, they met uh, while Andrew was working in the Navy off of this ship that was docked in San Diego. At the time, Jeff is struggling terribly with his sexuality. Now, of course, this is um, he's in the military under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So he feels very closeted. And um, Andrew and Jeff, I believe, met at a gay bar, which seems to be Andrew's M.O., and Jeff just really admired how, like, open Andrew was, how much he just had embraced himself. Oh, dear. Well, I mean, I don't know. I kind of get it, you know. Like, if you are in the military and you're trying every day to hide who you are, and then yeah. you meet this, like, charming young man who's also super gay. You know, and so Andrew and Jeff started to, like, pal around, and they're partying together. They become close friends. Um, now it gets to a point where Jeff accepts a job in Minneapolis. And so he goes there and it's also around this time that Andrew starts both selling and doing a lot of drugs Mm -hmm. and Jeff is trying to start to distance himself from Andrew. And, you know, there's the moves. This is a great opportunity to sort of just like get some distance. Andrew at this point is maybe not the healthiest person to be around. And, I mean, like, uh, maybe or maybe earlier, too, but okay. <laughs> Megan, I'm going to have you take it from here, because now we're getting into the Minnesota segment. My, of- my hometown. Minneapolis is my hometown, if, you, if my listeners, if our listeners don't know that already. Um, so, yes. So, um, Andrew, let me see how he gets there. I forgot how he got there. So, he, uh, so Jeff Trail and David Madsen are both in Minneapolis at this point. Andrew tells friends that he's going there to settle a score. Whatever we like, we don't know what that means, right? Clearly we now know what that means, but at the time we don't, this is 1997. So uh, he arrives in Minneapolis. He goes to dinner with Jeff trail and David Madsen. Um, And then that, night according to Washington Post and the Minneapolis Star Tribune um, they go back to uh, I think it's Madsen's apartment yep mm-hmm. yeah it's Madsen's apartments so the neighbors had reported that they had heard loud voices during an argument uh, like people were they could hear people screaming like get the fuck out um and 
it was reported that during the argument, Andrew Cunanan grabs a hammer and an open toolbox found on the floor in this apartment. And um, he takes a swing at uh, Jeff Trail, goes, uh, gashes his arm, and then Trail puts up a fight, takes another swing, the hammer claw ends up in the wall. Right? So this mm-hmm. is like you can you can imagine the and Madsen is is somewhere in the apartment. We don't we're not really yeah. sure what's actually he's somewhere there. So this is like very as you say, like very violent. The very violent and but it's in a very tony neighborhood in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, it's a very they're sort of very expensive lofts along the river. Um, sort of carved out of old warehouses, uh, one where you would expect like an architect to live, right? Like, because that's kind of it. Very violent fight. Um, then uh, he makes Kunanan makes contact uh, with the hammer. Uh, he hits Jeff's head a number of times. Uh, he falls to the floor. There's tissue and blood all over the place. Um, and then they, Kunan uh, uh, wraps him in the rug that Trail fell down and died on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just uh, leaves it in the apartment. Yeah. Okay. So he's, you know, so Kunan is now covered in blood. And um, he drags the rug 10 feet across the hard floor and um, tries to clean up the scene with paper towels, which, you know, <laughs> there's blood everywhere, dude. Like a, I was going to say, that's of, only going to get you so far. A pack of brownies not going to do it, right? Um, there's also... Uh, bare footprints found in the the in the blood when the cops showed up, um, but they can't. The cops when they sh- the first the cops show up, they can't understand it because the person who actually rents the apartment, David Madsen, and his dog are not there at the scene. So yeah, well, why don't we like slow down for a second? So so both uh, Andrew and David are in this apartment with this dead body. Uh, people saw them after that, so it's like they're just kind of like oh, going right. around yeah. Minneapolis. They've been they were here for a couple of days. Yeah. They weren't they weren't doing a lot. They were basically just going out for quick provisions. They weren't going out for or drugs, maybe for him. I don't know. Um, they didn't leave for a couple of days, and then they and then and, oh sorry, no, that's okay. And so uh, we're not sure when they left because the time of death of david madsen is also up for debate um Mm -hmm. but they left a couple they the police say they left a couple of days later um and they drove to uh chisago county which is about 40 minutes uh southwest southeast of minneapolis um now one thing about the body is the way that they found jeff was was that um, David's co-workers had gone by the apartment to see why he hadn't gone to work, which was unusual for him, and they're mm-hmm. the ones that find the body rolled Je- up and called the police. Yeah. 
Jeff. They found Jeff. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so these two are in a car. And I do remember this uh, way back in the day when I was living in Minneapolis. It was suspected that David Madsen was actually a part of this killing at the time because we didn't know anything about anything. Like We didn't know why they were both missing. People just assume that if they're both on the run together, that they both had something to do with it. I don't mm-hmm. think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. Um, and I don't think anybody else does either at this point. So they're on the run. They drive, they drive um, to Chicago County and um, Kunanen makes David get out of the car and walks him to the edge of this lake and uh, shoots him, I believe it's six times with a 40 caliber handgun. First time was in his back. Second time uh, was it hit his uh, cheekbone when he was facing the other direction. And he fell and rolled over. And that's when Kunanen riddled his body full of bullets. And then he uh, dragged uh, David into the weeds and left him near the water's edge. Um. This was May, so it could, in Minnesota, in May, it could still be cold. And I'm saying that because uh, when he's, when they, um, a fisherman, may, let me rephrase, a guy out fishing, not an actual professional fisherman, found David uh, by the lake. Um, there were a few signs of decomposition, suggesting that he hadn't been there for very long, but Later, the autopsy revealed that he could have been there for a minimum of three to four days. So. Yeah. And then would you like to do um, the third murder as well, and then I can pick up after? Oh, sure. So he uh, is, he's, so Kunan is driving around in David Madison's Jeep. I think it's the red Jeep at this point. And he takes off for Chicago, which for Minneapolis, if you're driving like a normal person, is about six hours. If you're driving like a madman, which I probably think he was, it's about four and a half down, straight down uh, through Wisconsin. So we're also not sure uh, how he knows this gentleman. It's, I'm reading these articles, and it doesn't sound like they actually did know each other, although Andrew knew his name because he was rich in... Uh, looks like he, what did he do for a living? He was a, a real estate developer. And okay. when Andrew is like out and about, he like name dropped Lee Miglin a few yep. times, but it doesn't really sound like they. Yeah. It doesn't like he was probably in the papers and Andrew just sort of picked him out by chance. So uh, this is May 4th, 1997. Um Police had discovered the body of Lee Meglin covered in paper and other debris uh, in the rear of a detached garage behind Meglin's house um, on East Scott Street in Chicago an early Sunday morning. Um, Early reports had suggested that his wife called police after discovering a gun, but that's kind of been refuted. It was just sort of a rumor. Um, so when police find him, they 
the okay just be forewarned that the injuries that he inflicted on Miglin are horrendous he somehow talked his way into the house or forced his way into the house wrapped duct tape around his head stabbed him in the heart uh, with shears with twice with gardening clippers mm-hmm and um, cut his throat with a gardening saw. And then when he finally was done putting him through, probably, I mean, like, I can't, I mean, like, that's sheer fucking torture. He drags him out to this garage and then runs him over with Miglin's 1994 Lexus. That he, oh, my that, Lord. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so that's the next car that he takes on the run. Now, there was something very bizarre, though, about the scene at Lee Miglin's house, uh, which is that when his wife, when when Lee's wife got home, um, there was an eaten ham sandwich. Oh, yeah. Um, he made himself comfortable. Like, yep. It looked like Andrew had slept in their bed, eaten their food, shaved, and then took a bath. So, yeah. oh, he also yeah. took some of Lee's suits and, and some other ten thousand dollars and some other treasures that he ended up pawning for whatever down the road. But yeah, he took a lot of valuables from the Miglin home. Mm-hmm. And so, and then of course he takes the car. He takes the, the ni- car. Yeah, the nineteen ninety four Lexus, which is you know that's a pretty fancy car in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now he's on the run again, and he's headed to uh, New Jersey. Yes, and I'll pick up the story from here. Mm-hmm. Although okay. I have to say that at this point, the story gets a little bit, um, he's just in survival mode, right? So yeah. he's like on this spree, but I think that like primary in his mind is possibly not getting caught. Um, which so far, um, as um, listeners can tell from like this story, he is not trying to really cover his tracks. No. Um, he keeps on dumping the car from the murder before the new crime scene, stealing a car, and then moving on to the next one. And so it's kind of like, it's as soon as they figure out who killed Jeff Trail, they know who they're looking for. Yeah. You know? Although the FBI is not actually involved until the New Jersey issue. Um, I actually think Miglin was a a crime of opportunity because he was 72 and um, rich. Right. And he used his sort of pseudo charms to um, get in the door. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, But this next one is. Definitely a very utilitarian murder. So May 9th, um, Andrew has driven to New Jersey, uh, where, as far as I can tell, he just runs across 45-year-old caretaker William Reese. William Reese sounds like a really sweet guy. He was in charge of a uh, like Civil War-era cemetery, and he would like help people with genealogy, and he's just like really like sweet and... Um, 
just like a very like normal, as normal as you can be as a caretaker, a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Andrew shoots and kills him um, at the cemetery. It takes his car and runs. So it's suspected that uh, Andrew killed William solely for the car. Um, William's wife uh, visited the cemetery when um, William William hadn't come home from dinner, and she finds him uh, shot inside his office. Execution style. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Andrew has taken that car, leaving a wake of bodies. Um, You're saying at this point the FBI gets involved. Do you have anything on the investigation? Um. Let me just kind of rack through my memory. So they, in Minneapolis, I do remember, um, the police were definitely on it, but they, and they didn't know that it was just going to be this, like, you know, ultra, like, world's biggest manhunt to find this guy. They just thought it was something, of course, gay-related, which, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It was of the time, I guess. But then... This other body shows up in New Jersey and um, they found that it was the same uh, caliber and gun that killed David Madsen. And that's when I got involved. And of course, they they find the car as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, they found the Lexus. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can, yeah, it's like, once you start, it's like knocking over dominoes. Like you can very clearly see this like path that he went down. Yeah. And then, um, all right. So Andrew has Liam's car. He drove from New Jersey to Miami, which he's crazy. Yeah. He stopped in like South Carolina to switch out license plates. Like he stole someone's license plates on the way. Um, Cause a big red pickup truck is kind of identifiable uh, oh. with New Jersey plates. So, yep. I mean, it and didn't so, take, take him long to get there. Yeah. So he drove to Miami, and then on July 15th, Andrew shoots Johnny Versace in front of Versace's mansion. So Johnny sounds like he has, like, a very regular schedule. It's like every morning he would walk to this, like, little outdoor cafe, buy a newspaper, a cup of coffee, walk back to his house. And so on his way back... Andrew runs across him and shoots him. Um, and then police found William Reese's car uh, in a parking garage nearby, along with news clippings of the prior murders. Um, I would which, like. I would or, like. To, I, I just want to point out that Andrew had been in Miami for almost two months at that point. Yeah. So he and he sort of been like he'd been seen standing outside of Versace's mansion. Multiple times. So it sounds like also there's some speculation. um, Well, we'll get to the speculation after. Um, Okay. Right. So Versace dies. Of course, this is huge. This goes from these murders being a regional issue. The FBI did have him on the most wanted list, but I don't really think that people were fully paying attention until Versace was killed. Well, honestly, I don't think so either. And um, oops, I don't know what that was. But also, the internet wasn't that big of a thing in 1997, mm-hmm. right? So he was one of the first people that they put up on their 
first internet most wanted list, but not every household had the internet in 
I totally agree. I think this is all out of pure envy and revenge on the world because he couldn't get what he wanted. Fuck him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, that is um, the murders of uh, Gianni Versace, uh, William Reese, Lee Miglin, uh, David Madsen, and Jeffrey Trail. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to continue to watch the docuseries, even though um, I might have spoiled the ending for myself a little bit reading up on this. Um, it's pretty good. Everyone should watch it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's all for this week's episode of Crime Talk BK. Uh, please stay safe and healthy out there. Take care, babies. Bye.